0: As we get into this this morning, I'd invite you to grab your Bible and turn it to John chapter 10, verse 22. John ten twenty-two is where we are. And while you're finding that, I would say this, the, the text that we're going to be in today, it's got one main point, and it's a simple point, yet it's a profoundly important point. It's very significant, and it's a truth that God wants us to understand this morning. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, or uh, not very long time, or maybe not yet at all, God has something that he just wants us to to get onto the program of this morning. And don't say I never did anything for you. I'm going to tell you right away at the start what the point is. That sound good? That's like taking a test, and the answers are given beforehand, right? So the point of the text we're going to read today is simply this. It's Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Very simple, right? And we can just kind of blow past that even. But we're going to explore that today and get a little bit deeper onto that today because it is a truth that is more than just mere sentiment or religious jargon. It actually makes a difference in our lives. It's that important truth that God wants us to get onto the page of this morning. So what we're going to do first, we're going to read our whole text that we're in. It's John 10, through to the end of the chapter, verse 42, and then we'll start unpacking it. It says this, You know what would be fun? Why don't don't we stand to our feet as we read God's word this morning? We'll do that. We can do that. Let's get on our feet. And Lord, as we begin to read your word, come and open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come and do a work through your great word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what it says. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, "'How long will you keep us in suspense? "'If you are the Christ, tell us plainly.' "'Jesus answered them, "'I told you, and you do not believe. "'The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, "'but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. "'My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me.' I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And here comes one of the most staggering things Jesus ever said during his life on earth. John 10.30, he says, I and the Father are what? One. One. The Jews responded with great rejoicing God, Jesus answered them, "'Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods?' "'If he called them gods to whom the word of God came "'and scripture cannot be broken, "'do you say of him who the Father consecrated "'and sent into the world, "'you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the son of God?' If I'm not doing the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I've always wanted like an instant replay of how he does stuff like that. I have not yet received one, maybe someday. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Amen? Amen. Why don't you have a seat? So the first thing like I said, I want to kind of cover and explore in this is that big truth that's in there. When I said Jesus is God, that's what we're going to start with. And and to do this, I want to start right in the middle of our text, that big verse that I stopped at and highlighted, John 10, 30, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's where I want to begin. And then we'll backtrack and do the other verses later. It's going to be fun. When Jesus says in verse 30... I and the Father are one. I mean, even in our English translations, we look at that and and we can get on to the fact that that's a pretty big claim. But in order to fully understand what he's saying, you need to understand that word one in its original language, the tense in which Jesus uses that word, he's not using it in the sense of he's saying, I and the Father are the same person. Here's, Here's what I mean. Not a trick question. How many gods do we have? Look at how many fingers I'm holding up. We have one. See, I'm giving you the answers as we go. You're welcome. We have one God. He exists in three parts, right? God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. All three parts of the Godhead or the Trinity, you may have heard it called, they are all fully, totally, equally God. There's not levels, they're, they're all God. And they each have, though, different and distinct roles and functions within the Godhead. So what Jesus is not saying is, I and the Father are the very same person with the very same role. What he's saying is, I and the Father are one in essence. And I know that's a large truth. Like, I've been a Christian for 18 years and grew up the 12, 13 years before that in the church, and it's still sometimes hard to wrap my mind around what does that look like, that there's three parts? But, but that's the truth. That's who God is. And Jesus right here is saying, I and the Father are one in essence, in that we're both God. Jesus, like the Father, is God from eternity past and for eternity future, like the Spirit as well. That is what he is saying. And this is not a new thing for him to be saying, by the way. This is definitely not the first time, even in the Gospel of John, that he has claimed to be God And what I wanted to do while we were on the subject, I wanted to quickly hit on a list of a few, well, there's more than a few, several few's of times where Jesus alluded to this already just in the Gospel of John about being God. I could take you other places in the Scriptures. We could be here a good long time. Let's talk just about John and just about where we've read already. Does that sound good? I'm gonna hit you with a list in a hurry here. Are you ready? It starts out like this. John 1.51, Jesus said... You're going to see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a title Jesus used for himself. And he said, you're going to see angels ascending and descending, surrounding, coalescing around the Son of Man. That's a hint. He's God. John 3.13, Jesus said, the Son of Man descended from heaven, a.k.a. I'm not from here. I'm from above. John four twenty six, Jesus calls himself to the woman at the well. We've read all this already. He read to the woman at the well. He calls himself the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one, the chosen one, the Savior, the Messiah. That's all God language. And he says it right out of his mouth. John 5:17 and 18. This one's very plain as well. It says that the Pharisees were mad at Jesus because and I quote, he called God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's what it says in John 5:18. John 5.26, Jesus said, as the Father has life in himself, a.k.a. God the Father is not on some ticking biological clock. He has always existed and has been full of life. He is life and has been all along and will forever be. As the Father has life in himself, so does the Son. God language. John 5.39, Jesus says, the scriptures bear witness about me. John 5.46, he says, Moses in the scriptures wrote about me. You say, wait, aren't the scriptures God's book? Yup, that's the point. That's God language. John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, I am what you need to really live. That's God language. John 6.63, I told you there was a few of these. John 6.63, he says, my words are spirit and life that's god sized language. John 8:12, I am the light of the world. We read that a few weeks ago. John 8:23, Jesus says, I am from above. I am not of this world. God language. John 8:28, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. John 8:52. Here's one for you. John 8:52, Jesus says, whoever keeps my word will not taste death. Who in the world can claim that other than God? The answer is nobody. In the interest of continuing to give you the answers, you're welcome. John 8 58, one of my favorites. Jesus said, Before Abraham was, Abraham was this massive figure in the Jewish faith, and he had lived like 2,500 years before Jesus said this. And he says, Before Abraham was, before he even existed and took a breath, I am. He doesn't say, I was, like I'm really old and I happened to be alive before then. I am. I eternally was before Abraham was even alive. God language. John 9.35, we read a couple weeks ago. Jesus heals the blind beggar and the guy says, who is the son of man that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, it's me. And it says, the man fell down and worshipped him. And that's important because all throughout the scriptures, there are times where people fall down to worship someone wrongly like another human being like the apostles maybe or an angel and every time they're corrected no 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 don't worship me i'm just an angel i'm a messenger i'm just a man whatever jesus does not stop this man because he's god he's the god to be worshipped john ten eleven we read last week jesus says i am the good shepherd all of these things and that's not even an exhaustive list i just want you to get out of here before your lunch reservation expires all of these things, he you have to see what he's doing. Whatever you came in here believing about Jesus this morning, you have to see what he's doing. He is clearly, unmistakably positioning himself and claiming himself to be God. You, you have to see that. Heads nodding if you see that this morning. Okay. And the Jews, it's speaking of here, they understood what he was saying too. Like we read in verse 31... It says that they picked up stones with which to stone him. That is proof, I'm saying this a bit tongue-in-cheek, that's proof that cancel culture existed long before the 2020s, okay? I don't like what you say. We're going to eliminate and cancel you. And Jesus, I love the sarcasm he replies with. I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which of them are you going to stone me for? I love it. And that probably just makes them more angry. But look at their answer. It's not for good works that we're gonna stone you, but that you being a man, make yourself to be God. They fully understood what he was saying, fully. They were angry about it, but they at least got it. Jesus rebuttal to them in verse 34 through 36. It seems a little bit maybe hard to pick up on what he's saying. He says, does it not say in your law, I said you are God's? Now, that I said you are God's bit, you can see there's quotation marks around that, right, at the very bottom of your slide there. That's a quote from the Old Testament. That's a quote specifically from Psalm chapter 82, verse 6. You can go read Psalm 82. Here's the gist of it, because I'm giving you the answers. Psalm 82, 6 Uh, In that verse, it's heavenly beings being addressed and called gods. Notice the small g on the God, right? That's important. That's, that's a word and a title that is sometimes used in the scriptures. It's not an uncommon thing. Even actually Satan is called a small G God at one point. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's called the God of this world. Now, the small G God really means they're not gods at all. It's, it's not the same as capital G God. There's only one of those, right? But what he's saying is, you guys, these Jewish leaders, in your scriptures... It says, did I not say you are gods? And you're okay with that verse. And scripture cannot be broken, it says. But, so you'll readily accept that scripture that talks about you are gods in it. But then when I come along and I claim to be God, you're not having it. He's pointing out their hypocrisy, right? They're not thinking completely. They're missing the point. And in verse 37, he turns up the heat. He just lays it out there. He says, look, if I'm not doing the works from the Father... If I'm not doing things that only God could do, go ahead and don't believe me. I give you permission not to believe me. Because if he's not doing the works of the Father, he's just smoke and mirrors. He's all talk and no action, which is utterly unhelpful, right? But he says, but I am doing them. It's proof that he is more than just all talk, right? And he says, if you won't believe me, believe the works at least. You can't deny the things that I'm doing. And he says, I want you to believe the works so that, it's really important, look at the language here. Verse 38, second last line. Believe the works that you may know and understand. Read the rest of that with me. That the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He, he literally says the point of you believing these works and these words I'm saying is that so you will know that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. That's a claim to be God. You can't miss it for sure. And he wants us to understand the same thing as well. Now, perhaps so far you say, okay, I hear your point, Braden. Jesus is saying that he's God, but why does it matter? Why is it important that Jesus is God? Well, I'm glad that you asked, and I'll happily answer that. Here's, here's why it's important. This, this, this thing we're hammering along at, Jesus is God. It's important because you were made to worship God. You literally, you were made to worship God. There are a lot of people who will foolishly say, oh, I, I don't believe in God. I don't worship anybody, whatever. Hey, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't worship. You, you and I are creatures of worship. You and I, literally, we can't help ourselves, it's in our DNA. We all worship someone or something. Worship, by the way, we're talking about that person or thing that comes first. It's our highest priority. We revolve our life around that person or thing. We make sacrifices for that. Our, our time, our schedule, our money revolves around that thing. We can worship anything wrongfully, and, and everybody does worship something. But you and I were made to worship God. You and I were created to occupy a particular space in which God is at the center... God comes first. God is the highest priority. We're in a relationship with Him, and everything that happens in this life happens from that place of we're with God and and we're aiming to please God and we love God and we're walking with God and we're abiding in God and we're doing things to please God and we're doing so for the glory of God. That's why it says uh, in another place in the scriptures, no matter what you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Your whole life is about worship. You were made by God and for God to worship God in all of the forms that that looks like. Us showing up here on Sunday morning is but one form, one way of worshiping God. Your life is about worshiping him. And Jesus is coming along here and he's saying, that God you were created to worship, he said, that's me. I'm that God. It's me. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God has shone a light into our hearts to give us knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shone a light. He has done something in our hearts so that we will understand who he is and what that looks like is Jesus Christ. God has done a work in our hearts so that we will understand and know Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is God. And and what I love about this, what makes this so important is when we specifically go in at Jesus like this, it makes it really plain. We can't use nebulous God language anymore, right? Because a lot of people do that. Oh, well, yeah, I believe in God. Well, what God? God. What God do you think you believe in, right? And, and people will go along, well, my God this. My God is like that. My God says this. My God treats people this way. Again, what God are, are you speaking of? It, it, just because you say the word God doesn't necessarily mean anything. It, maybe it does mean a lot. I'm not saying don't use the word God. That's not my point at all. I'm just saying that doesn't say the whole story. But Jesus comes along. And by the way, it says in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen the Father, the only God, but in Jesus, God has been made known. He, he, Jesus is literally how we see and know God. If you leave Jesus out of the mix, I'm just telling you, you don't know God. I'm just telling you. And it's really important that, that we get this right. Jesus is not just someone who's like God, Right? Some people say, oh, yeah, he was a good man. He was like God. Yeah, he was more than that. It's also important to note Jesus is not just the Son of God, but not God. I literally had that conversation with two Jehovah's Witnesses at my door a few weeks ago. I asked them, what do you guys think about Jesus? He's this, he's that, he's that, but he's not God. And I didn't have this argument on my front step that morning, um, but I said, how can you read the Bible and come to that conclusion? that he's not. Like if Jesus is not God, what do you do with the verse we read already about I and the Father are one? What do you do with that? What do you do with a verse like Hebrews 1.3 that says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature? What do you do with that if he's not God? What do you do with a verse like Matthew one twenty three where it says that Jesus' name is called Emmanuel, which means who? God with us. What do you do with that if he's not God? That verse is just untrue then, I guess. What do you do with verses that talk about how every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? What do you do with the verses? To talk about how Jesus one day is going to judge the living and the dead. If he's not God, how does that make any sense? What do you do with the verses that talk about worship happening in heaven before the Lamb, who is Jesus? If he's not God, that doesn't make any sense. What do you do with a verse like Romans 1.6 that tells us that we are called to belong to Jesus Christ? If he's not God, that doesn't make any sense. Here's the point. If Jesus is not God, this book is utterly untrue. Because The Bible then is leading you to worship someone who isn't God. And the Bible definitely is not doing that. Friends, we need to understand who He really is. And and I would flip it the other way. Let's think of it in a positive light. What if He actually is right? What if it's actually true what Jesus is claiming? Let's not try to just disprove Him. What if it's true? What if He actually is God? That changes things, right? I think since Jesus is God, it's time for some of us, and I'm talking to Christians too. I'm talking to the guy in the mirror. Since Jesus is God... It's time for us to wake up sometimes, right? It's time for us to quit messing around. It's time for us to repent of our sin. It's time for us to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. It's time to allow him to occupy the seat on the throne of our hearts and to put him first and to die to ourselves and to live for him because it's not just some nebulous concept of there's a God out there. It's Jesus Christ and he's calling us to walk with him and surrender our lives to him because he's God. Somebody help me out in this house today. So, with that being said, let's rewind. Let's go back to the very first of our text in verse 22. With with that truth acknowledged and established, the question that comes up, and you can see it on there, the question is this today, do you belong to Jesus or not? And I know, again, I'm talking to believers. The answer is a resounding yes in this room. But let's explore what he says. There's some really interesting stuff in the, next, in the coming verses here. What you're gonna see from verse 22 to 29, you're gonna see two groups of people on display. Two groups of people compared and contrasted. So let's do this. It starts out by saying, I need a drink first. That's what it starts out by saying. It starts out in verse 22. It says, it was the feast of dedication. Now, admittedly, A few weeks ago, when I started kind of researching for this week, I got to that Feast of Dedication and I realized something. I have read the Gospel of John a number of times. I don't know how many, but a number. I did not know what the Feast of Dedication was. I said, I just must have assumed I knew what it was, but I got looking at it. I said, I don't remember reading about the Feast of Dedication anywhere else like in the Old Testament. And I started to research it, and I was actually validated. The Feast of Dedication is not anywhere in the Old Testament, right? We've talked about some other like festivals and feasts that the Jews had, like the Feast of Booths. We talked about that for like twelve weeks in a row. Um, that's like well documented in the Old Testament, but the Feast of Dedication is not. Here's why: it began and originated in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It literally didn't exist in the Old Testament days. And it goes by a more common name, by the way. I wanted to just put this out there and see if anybody knows the other more famous name for the Feast of Dedication. It's okay if you don't. I didn't. I now do. Anyone want to hazard a guess? I can wait. Somebody said it. It's Hanukkah. Well, the, yeah, but when you research it more, it, it's, they're interchangeable phrases, yeah. But yeah, that's what it is. And so here's the backstory of Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, whichever term we'd like to use. Uh, it originated in about the 160s BC, and this is important why I'm telling you this. It's not just fun history. I like the history of it, but it's relevant. In the 160s AD, the nation of Syria came in and occupied and overthrew, is that a word? they overthrew, sure it is now, they overthrew Israel, Jerusalem, or parts of that. And they moved in and they set up shop, but they said to the Jewish people, hey, you know what? You guys just carry on in your traditions, carry on in your customs, carry on in your religion. We don't really care about any of that. Just make sure you pay us lots of taxes as your overlords. So life went on for the Jewish people for a while, but externally to them, the political pressure amongst the Syrian uh, nation was starting to build and build and build. And what was happened as a result of that is that they caved to political pressure and the Syrian government set up a, uh, an altar to Zeus in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Right in the house of God, they set up this, this altar where you sacrifice to Zeus. And some of the Jewish people were enraged, incensed about this. They were infuriated because some false god who's one of those small G gods, AKA not really a god, is now in the house of the Lord and we can't have that. So they revolted. And that revolt was called the Maccabean War, if you ever want to go look that up. I learned a lot getting ready for this, let me just tell you. Anyway, their revolt, this Maccabean War, it was successful. They overthrew their oppressors, and they got the altar out of there to Zeus. And so what they did in 164 BC, 164 years-ish, before this was written, they had a dedication, a rededication of the temple. And it was a big party, a big celebration. And the, the uh, thing that was cool as the story goes is they were going to light this ceremonial candle at this feast, at this dedication. But they realized they only had enough oil for one day for the candle to burn. Uh, But miraculously, as the story goes, the candle burnt for eight days, even though there was only one day's oil in it. That's why, for instance, if you see the imagery of Hanukkah, the, the candelabra with the eight arms, that's where that originated from. So that's important. I'll get back to that in a second. It says in verse 23 of our text here that Jesus was at the temple, and he was walking in the colonnade of Solomon. The colonnade of Solomon was an outdoor hallway. It had a roof overhead. It had a solid wall on one side, but this other side was sort of a half wall for part of it, and then no wall, and there was a steep drop off the side. Here's why that's important. It was a difficult place to escape from if you needed to make a quick exit. So during this feast of dedication at the colonnade of Solomon, in verse 24, it says that the Jews gathered around him. Our English doesn't really do justice, that word gathered. See, you could read that and go, oh, they must have been like, hey, there's Jesus. Let's lovingly approach him because we think so much of him and let's sit at his feet and say, please teach us something, we want to hear from you. That's not what happened at all. That word gathered, if you translate that to the Greek, it's the word, in case you care, it's the word ekiklosan. Thank you. That word means to surround or to lay siege to. In other words, this is a hostile takeover right here. They see Jesus coming and they corner him in this hallway that there's not really any escaping from. He can't just run away. It reminded me of a time, this is just a freebie for you. I was in high school And I was in a music class, and part of this music class was you would split up into little groups, three, four, five people, and you'd go off to different rooms, and you would do whatever, practice a song or something. And one day, a few of us, three or four of us, are in this side room when the door flies open, like right off the hinges almost. And it wasn't a nice delicate. The door literally slams into the wall, and these four guys come in, led by a guy that was in our grade who we didn't really hang out with, but he brought the brute squad in with him, okay? Literally the goon squad. And they are looking for a guy, it wasn't me, thankfully, a guy in our group, and he, there he is. They literally walk right up to the guy. They get right in his grill like this, and the guy puts his finger right on his chest like this. And it turns out what he was mad about, it's just funny, the guy he was mad at, uh, sorry, the guy that was mad worked at KFC at the time, and the guy that he was mad at literally drove around and around in the drive-thru one day ordering a Big Mac. So this guy was like going to get his revenge, right? So he gets right up in his face. And I don't think it came to blows, but it wasn't super pleasant. It was very uncomfortable. That's like what's going on here. This is not a pleasant conversation. They tried to order a Big Mac at KFC. Here's why all of that is important. I'm going to tell you Why? It's very ironic, okay? The whole occasion that they're celebrating, the feast of dedication, the whole thing originated with a zeal for God. Something was happening in the house of God that shouldn't be happening, and for for God's sake, we need to do something about it for God. And then God shows up, and they miss it. They're in the temple for this, This is literally the house of God, the place in that time where the the presence of God came to dwell on the earth, the connecting point between heaven and earth. God shows up, the God who they worship at the temple, and they miss it. And they're against Him. The point is this. This is super relevant for us today. Even though you may take part in some sort of religious activity, in some sort of a religious place, that does not mean that you're on the point. You you can take part for instance. I'm not saying this is you. You can sit in a church building every Sunday morning. You can do the churchy things. You can sing the songs. You can say amen. That doesn't mean that you've understood what you're supposed to understand. That doesn't mean that you're on the program of Jesus is God. And Jesus is your God and your personal Lord and Savior. Amen? So these guys surround him and they say, If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly. You can just hear the, the contempt in their voice there. And, and just notice their posture here. They're demanding something of Jesus. And I would say this to you: that is no way to approach God. Okay? There, there is definitely such a thing as confidence before the Lord as Christians. We don't have to cower in fear of the Lord. But, but this is a whole other level. Demanding something of God. You do something for me right now, God. No. Fail. No, that shows that, hey, we're arrogant, we're prideful, if that's our attitude before the Lord, that 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 what that's saying is, Jesus, you actually revolve around my calendar, my schedule, my priorities. That's not the way it's supposed to be, friends. He's God. I feel like I've said that today already, right? Jesus answers them, he's not afraid of these guys. Look, he answers them in verse 25. He says, Hey, I did tell you, but you do not believe. So the issue here is not that Jesus is not revealing himself. God is a God of revelation. God wants to be known by you. The issue is not that God is hiding himself. It's that he did reveal himself and they didn't believe him. And he, he ups the ante in verse 26. He says, the reason you don't believe is because you're not among my sheep. And that's a sobering verse because, you know, there's a line I hear sometimes Sometimes non-Christians use it. Sometimes Christians use it. And it goes like this. You've probably heard it. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. Hey, don't worry. We're all God's children. That's not actually true. We are all created by God. No mistake, we, we are all loved deeply and unconditionally by God. We are all, uh, the Bible uses the language of the children of mankind, but not all people are children of God. That's talking about something different. That's talking about people who are born again in Christ. To those who believed in his name, he gave a right to be children of God, is what the word says. And these guys, their problem, these leaders here, and today this still happens. A big problem of theirs was their hardness of heart. Right, We've read about these guys all along through the Gospel of John, and time and time again they've proven their hearts are hard. Not only do they not believe, frankly, they don't want to believe. It says in Ephesians 4:18 that our hardness of heart alienates us from God. It drives us further from God. And, and I know that you know this. If you live in the world and know people in the world, you know that this is true. Some people never want to believe. Some people have already made up their mind. I'm not gonna believe. And no matter what God may do, no matter what you may say to try to convince them, it seems like the more you say and the more God does, they just harden themselves more and more and more. They refuse to open themselves up. They refuse to consider that this might be true. They refuse to do any sort of research or or exploring of this at all. (coughs) Pardon me. What Jesus says is that this attitude this disbelief, this hardness of heart is proof that you are not my sheep. You don't get it. You've missed it. You've missed the big point. That's the first group that's on display here. Those who are not Jesus' sheep. And, and those who are not Jesus' sheep, to sum up, they are characterized by unbelief. They're characterized by a hostility to the truth of God, right? When truth is presented and proclaimed, oh, no, no, they're just agitated by it. By the way, that can pertain to people sitting in church. I'm just delivering the mail. <laughs> characterized by, by that chronic hardness of heart. Maybe they're characterized by like these guys, just mere religion. Yeah, I do religious things. I go to church. I, I pray before a meal. I do whatever. That doesn't mean anything. If that's, just, if, that's, if that's where you are occupied, if that's the position that you occupy, you gotta take this word to heart. You may not be a sheep, a child of God. Now, there are people that would hear that and say, hey, I never claimed I was a sheep. I never claimed I was one of God's children. I don't believe, I this, I that, whatever, whatever. Here, here's what I would say to you if, if that pertains to you. I'm an unbeliever, I'm whatever. If Jesus is actually right, If Jesus is actually who he says he is, which he is, who said that? Are you really comfortable being in that state that you're in? Are you really comfortable with the conclusion that you've drawn that he's not God, he's a nobody, there is no God? What happens if he's right? That means that you are wrong and you're offside with God and you're outside of his family. Is that really what you want? Is that really a chance you want to take is what I would ask you. Now, Again, I will say this. I've kind of been hitting on this already today. There are people that do claim to be children of God. Oh, I'm a believer. I believe in God. Again, I will say, just because you say that doesn't mean it's true. Just because God, just because you have some sort of affinity for the concept of God, or you believe that there is a God, or what have you, doesn't mean that you belong to Jesus. Doesn't mean that at all because I just find this interesting Jesus is saying this to very religious people they're doing all the outward appearance they're doing the right things and they don't know him they've missed the point again I'm talking to people sitting in church I'm not saying this does or doesn't apply to you I'm saying you've got to search your heart the Bible literally says test yourselves to see if you're in the faith this is where it is here's the good news in all of this and then we'll move on to the next group the good news in this is that you can belong to Jesus. It's an open standing invitation. You can become one of his children, one of his sheep, because he loves you, because he created you, because he has a life for you. And though you have sinned, though you have driven a wedge between yourself and God by your sin, Jesus came to the earth and he died on a cross to pay for your sin. He said, it is finished. He, he dealt with all of your sin on the cross. And now uh, he also rose from the grave victoriously. He is alive. He is ruling and reigning. He just, it's not like we're saying he was God, but then he died. He is God today. He is on a throne. He is building his kingdom. He is establishing his church. He is coming again one day. And he's inviting each one of us to surrender our lives to him, to repent of our sin and to turn to him for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls and to come into the life that he's always created us to live. That's that's an open invitation. And if you want to know more about that, come find me later. Let's talk about the second group before we start winding this down. The second group of people on display in John 10 are the people that do belong to Jesus. Here's what I want to say to you today. This will apply to many of you. And I want this to be an encouragement. This is a super encouraging part of God's word. Jesus says in verse 27, my sheep, I'll stop right there. Sheep need a shepherd. This will minister to somebody. Sheep, the actual animal, the real thing, sheep are really dumb. I love you. Sheep are really dumb and they're creatures of habit, sometimes bad habit. They are unable to defend themselves against predators. They need a shepherd to care for them, look after them, nurture them, protect them, guide them. We as Christians are no different. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you still need the good shepherd. Absolutely you do. And a Christian, someone who is one of these sheep of Jesus is someone that is humble enough to be okay with the fact that they need a shepherd. A lot of people, I'm independent. I answer to no one. I'm self made. Religion is just a crutch. You know who crutches are really good for? People whose legs are broken. Just saying. And if, and if, if this makes me weak for believing that, so be it. Because I don't know. I need a shepherd, something awful. And I submit that you all do as well. Again, I love you. What happened to you today? My pastor said I was dumb never going there again. He says, my sheep, hear my voice. You know what I love about that? It means that Jesus is someone who talks, and guess what? Jesus is still talking. When he says, I, they hear my voice, you need to understand that Jesus still speaks today. And here's what I want to do. You need to understand when it's his voice and when it's not. Because just because he says The sheep hear my voice, aka I'm talking, what I want you to know is he's not the only voice out there. There's lots of other voices out there as well. So what we're going to do, just because we're here, we're on the bus already, we're going to like take a little bus stop for a second, just like this, and we're going to talk about something. It's not like immediately right in our text, but it's right here, and I think this is going to be important for somebody today. You say, Jesus talks, how can I understand if it's him talking to me? Like I said, there are lots of other voices out there as well. We, we just talked about it last week that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and principalities of darkness in the heavenly places. So there are such things as like demons and the demonic that try to speak. Satan, it says in another place, Second Corinthians, I think, it says that Satan masquerades around as an angel of light. He literally dresses up and pretends to be an angel of light, and he speaks. And Satan and or the demonic might be speaking to you and might be saying something that's dressed up to sound like something God might say, but it's to lead you to destruction. How do I know when that's the case? Here's another voice that speaks to us, your feelings. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me rant and rave and jump up and down about how dumb it is to trust our feelings. Our feelings are the worst guide in the world, the worst. Give you an analogy, I wear a Fitbit, This is no prize winner, but before I had this one, I had an even older, less of a prize winner than this one. It was the old, old generation of Fitbit, and they were a little on the budget side, and they were very sensitive and susceptible to atmospheric changes like in the weather, or if you like move your arm like this, it just gave me 120 steps kind of thing, very sensitive. And one day, it was a rainy day, which was relevant, We got in the car and drove to Bangor. And you know the road to Bangor is like this, right? When I got to Bangor and I checked my Fitbit at the end of the day, it told me that I had ascended 362 flights of stairs. Which explains why my legs and the rest of me are so chiseled, right? Thank you. I may have done, in actuality, two or three flights of stairs that day. But it literally felt sensed that that's what I had done, and that's what it communicated to me. Here's the problem. It was wrong. Your feelings are sometimes wrong. You might feel it. That doesn't mean it's true or good or godly or healthy for you. Don't just buy into it because you feel it. Come on now. Here's the way. Here's how you can tell when it's God speaking versus something or someone else speaking. You need to test the spirits. Somebody say, test the spirits. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 4. Test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. So the best way, I'm just going quick on this. It's another sermon for another day. The best way to test the spirits is by this thing right here. This is the word of God. God spoke. God wrote this. So if you want to test the spirits to see if it's from God, if if you're feeling something or hearing something or sensing something, and it does not line up with what's written in here, you can tell right away. You can draw the conclusion, that's not from God. I don't know who it's from, but it's not the Lord. Because God is not going to uh, contradict Himself. He's not going to counteract what He said in here. I I find that super helpful and practical. And it just immediately can give us the litmus test. In addition to the Scriptures, you can supplement the reading of Scripture with prayer. Like, talk to God about it. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with God... Talk to him. He's gonna reveal things to you by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth, right? Well, if you're trying to figure out if something you're hearing or sensing is true or from God, the Holy Spirit is gonna bring that and make that plain, right? So talk to the Lord. I would advise you and encourage you as well, seek wise counsel. That's part of the reason we have each other, right? Talk to somebody. I say part, it's not the only reason. Talk to someone else who's a trusted believer. Hey, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm sensing. What do you think about this? That's how you test the spirits. That's in a nutshell how you tell if something you're hearing is from God. Is that helpful today? Okay, put your seatbelt back on. Bus stop is over. We're getting back on the road. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And look at this. He says, I know them. That right there is language for relationship. Relational language. We're talking about time spent between you and Jesus. A pursuit of Jesus, a a real effort to abide with him. We've talked on and on about the relationship. It's a real thing. And that's proof that you're one of his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And look at this, they follow me. Here comes the dreaded O word, obedience. Somebody says, I have to go. Jesus is saying that a mark of being one of his sheep is obedience. Make note, what he is not saying is if you mess up even once, you claim to be a Christian, I'm watching you, you slip up, that's proof that you're a liar and you're not one of my sheep. That's not what he's saying at all. We all stumble in many ways, many ways. What he is saying, though, is someone who is a genuine sheep, a genuine believer, a genuine follower, their life is going to be categorized and characterized by the pursuit of obedience. Yeah, you're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah, you're going to stumble and fall. But the trajectory of your life, in your heart of hearts, it's, I want to live and aim to please my Lord and Savior. That's what he's saying here. And by the way, talking about obedience, I'm not just talking about you happen to not do the wrong thing. Sometimes we can get lucky, right? And some days go by and, hey, I got through the day and I think I happened to avoid doing the wrong thing, right? It's not just that. It's also I'm eagerly pursuing what is right in the sight of God. That's obedience. And Jesus said, that's a mark of my sheep. I love where he goes from here. In verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life, my sheep. Only God, by the way, can give eternal life. I can't do it. You can't do it. If Jesus was just some guy, he couldn't do it. But he's God and he can do it. I give them, my sheep, eternal life. We've talked about this. Eternal life is not just the passage of time. Yes, it's that. It's gonna go on forever. But it's also about the quality of life as well. It's a life that is full of vigor. It's a life that is full of joy and peace and hope It's a life that never tarnishes. It never fades. It never runs out. Jesus says, I have that kind of life for my sheep, which I love. He says, they will never perish. Sidebar, that's really fitting this week when we've just lost a sister in Christ, amen? She will never perish. Just making it plain English right here. Jesus says in another place, he says, because I live, you also will live. That changes everything. He says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, your salvation as a Christian cannot be taken away. The the world might throw everything in the book at you to try to bring you down, throw you off. Well, guess what? We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And our salvation is not something that can be stolen. It is secure in Jesus' hand. And the reason that it's able to be secure in his hand. Look what he does in verse 29. He says, because my father is greater than all and no one will snatch them out of his hand. See that? My hand, his hand. It's a claim to be God. Just saying. He's saying, because I am greater. My father is greater. The Holy Spirit is greater. And no one can overpower the Lord and steal your salvation from him. Is that good news? This second group of people I just love this. If you belong to Jesus, those who are truly His sheep, it's marked. It's characterized by knowing His voice, by being in relationship with Him, by pursuing a life of obedience, and it ends in eternal life. I know I'm talking to some of you guys today. That's the promise we have as Christians, right there. So encouraging. And so, what I want to do as we wrap this up, we got a few more verses to read. We got to respond. That's where it ends. Jesus has said all of these words. He's claimed over and over to be God. He said, here's what people who aren't my sheep look like. Here's who people who are my sheep look like. Here's what he says. Here's where it goes. Verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So there were people who heard his words and bristled against them, refused to believe, I'm not having it. That's the response they made. That's the choice that they made. But look on the flip side. Verse 40, it says, He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And here's the crux, here's the kicker. Many believed in him there. Some people didn't get it, but some people did. That's the very same thing today, friends. And as the message of Jesus Christ has gone out here today, and as it goes out, when we go out into the world, that's what we're gonna see. People are gonna respond differently. But never mind people, I wanna talk about you. How are you gonna respond today? It's kind of the same point that we've made at the end of about every sermon lately. We've established today who Jesus is. He's God. He is inviting you and calling you to surrender your life to him, to die to yourself and to live for him. The question is, will you do it? And the choice really is yours. Jesus isn't gonna force himself on you. The ball is in your court. You can either set yourself against Jesus. By the way, I'm not even just talking about in a salvation sense. What might God be asking you to do in your life and what might you be rebelling against him and not listening and not yielding? What is he wanting you to do right now in this season? You can either set yourself against him or you can submit to him. You can either wrestle against him or you can get real with him. You can either wander through this life detached from him Or you can fall at his feet and worship him. And friends, that is what it means to truly live.